everyone and welcome back to our series of Amy Asks about the environment. We've been talking for the last three episodes or so about coal and about clean coal and about energy production within Australia. We're speaking to the economist Jan Newham who has written a paper, Powering Onwards, Australia's Opportunity, Reinvigorate Manufacturing Through Renewable Energy. So today, Dan, I would like us to talk through your paper. Uh, Welcome back to the show, Dan. Thanks so much. Really appreciate you having me again. Tell us what you found when you started your research. So we were looking at manufacturing specifically. When I say we, I guess I'm thinking of of my uh, supervisor, Dr. Jim Stanford, as well as myself. Mm Mm-hmm. And, and there was this quote from um, uh, Matt Canavan when he was the resources minister mm. um, so a little while ago now, saying mm-hmm. you can't have manufacturing in Australia unless unless we use coal. Uh, to Jim and I, that just didn't pass the pub test. I think um, we have a sound effect for that. Hang on, I'll try if it works. There you go. Sound effect for Dan. Okay. Not you, Dan. Sure. <laughs> Dan Canavan. Yep. Yeah, so um, we, we, we didn't think that that sounded uh, right uh, at, at all, that we couldn't manufacture without coal because Australia has these extraordinary renewable resources at its disposal, um, particularly solar and, and wind resources that are, frankly, undercapitalized upon. Mm. Uh, historically, we, we have uh, used a lot of uh, coal and, and that still plays a big role in our energy grid. But nowadays, the cheapest source of new energy is renewables. Mm. What the the paper seeks to do is um, look at some examples of where manufacturing already is using renewables or could use renewables as a source of electricity. And it also looks at some examples of where renewables uh, could be produced by Australian manufacturing. So essentially... Where, where we have an opportunity that we're not yet taking. And the most exciting examples for me are where you combine the two, so where you use renewable electricity to produce sources of renewable electricity. So, for example, mm. that's, that would be, for example, using hydrogen steel making to create wind turbines for the production of electricity, which can, in turn electrolyzed water to produce more hydrogen, things like that. Yep. There's lots of these little loops that are available to us that we aren't yet taking up. Yeah. But they're, they're, they're there. And I also did some international comparisons where I looked at where Australia sits uh, relative to other wealthy nations, OECD nations, mm-hmm. uh, in terms of the amount that we manufacture as a proportion of our GDP and as a proportion mm-hmm. of our exports versus the amount that we emit. And, and that news is bad, uh, essentially. Mm. We're, we're not a manufacturing-intensive nation by any stretch of the imagination, but mm. we are an emissions-intensive nation. Mm. And even if you look at, at Canada and the US, which uh, proportionally emit as much as we do, they manufacture twice as much proportionally mm. as we do. Mm. Um, so... Yeah, it's um, I, I I call the uh, I call that the bad place analysis because okay. we're in exactly the wrong part of the graph. Yeah, um, and and the I guess the headline thing uh, that the report does is we actually did a little bit of a numerical analysis or a, a quantitative analysis. Yeah, 
on how much manufacturing could save uh, were it to replace over time the fossil fuel part of our energy grid yep. uh, with renewables. Yep. And that's not such a crazy analysis to do because ultimately we are going to have to replace those those generators anyway because they age, uh, they wear out. And if, if you have a look at the Australian Energy Market Operators website, you can actually find a spreadsheet that shows you when they're planning to close all of the power stations that are currently in operation. And so when you see that, you think, oh, okay, well, we don't have to replace these with more fossil fuel generators. We could replace them with something cheaper and more environmentally attractive as well. Yeah. And um, we, we did some calculations and, and uh, discovered that we'd be looking at a 23% energy saving for manufacturing <sighs> if we went that way. Wow. Which is quite a lot. Um, So that would mean that Australian manufacturing would be more competitive. Uh, So it's it's exactly the opposite of what Matt Vanaman said, actually. Uh, Not only only can we manufacture without coal, but we really should be manufacturing without coal. He's gone on record, I think, of saying that, that he does have an invested interest in coal. I think he did. Yeah. I think he did go on record for saying that. But he did yeah, say, he yeah, 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 okay. Yeah. But, you know, there's a, a lot of that in this government. So, for example, I think Prime Minister's Chief of Staff is also from the, the world of fossil fuel as well. Right, right. Um, Yeah, there's a lot of this revolving door stuff. Mm. Which, you know, I mean, I, I think, personally, I, I, I get a bad feeling about that. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I think that if you are going to do it, then you need to be really clear about where your private interests end and where your public interests start. And I don't think this government always goes out of its way to be clear with us about what their uh, what their private interests are. So do you think that there is anybody within any form of, of leadership in the government whether it be Labor, Greens, but that has the tenacity and the the strength to say, do you know what? We have a, a product here that we can export here, that we can recover from COVID-19 spats with China here, that we can create jobs here, that we can improve economically let's just drop our personal interests and put our interests in the planet above anything else. Is there anywhere that we can go? Because obviously you have to convince the voters. So, and I don't, I don't know that the Greens is necessarily the answer. I, I don't know the answer to that question, which is why I'm asking it, but Surely there's got to be someone that can just go, do you know what, I'm going to put my personal interests aside and put the planet before money. Yeah, well, you use the word tenacity, and mm. I think that's, that's a really great choice of wording because you will, any government that seeks to do this on any stride mm. is going to be facing these very powerful vested interests. I mean, mm. you, you recall what happened 
to Kevin Wright, even just with the, the mining uh, resource rent cap. Mm, you know, that was, mm. <laughs> I wasn't even planning to abolish the sector or anything uh, extreme like that at all. It was just, mm. you know, above a certain point, we wouldn't mind if, if you folks paid a little bit more tax and uh, his branding of the ship was destroyed. So I, I really think it'll take a lot of a lot of bravery and, and you know, you'll really be sort of like clawed onto the cliffs, you know. Yeah. Um, but I also think that this COVID crisis, in a sense, it's, it's a great opportunity for us to yeah. reorient our, our economy because we're, we're going to have a different economy coming out of this. Uh, I mean, essentially, we've, we've shut down tourism. Um, mm-hmm. Education as a share of our economy has been severely impacted. We've, we've got to have a think about where we want to go next um, economically. And, and there is going to be a lot of economic planning. So if I had like a, a spare $60 billion in my back pocket that I've borrowed, but it's spare, uh, <laughs> you know, spare $60 billion, that that's nothing to be sneezed at. Yes. Why not go, yeah, look, we're having a bit of a spat with one of our major trading partners when it comes to coal. Let's let's still keep the smoke screen up about which we talked about before in one of our previous episodes about clean coal and gas. But let's on the side go sixty million dollars. What sixty million? We're just going to be getting some renewables and seeing how that works. Would that be a tactic that you could use, or am I being completely dumb there? <laughs> no, I don't think so. Because if uh, I've got sixty billion in my back pocket. I'm, I'm thinking, personally, I hate summer. <laughs> I live in Sydney and it's like a constant summer. People wear beanies when it's 20 degrees out in the middle of winter. In the middle of winter, it's 20 degrees. Like, it's so silly. And I, and I hate yeah. summer. I think about how we've looked at people coming from other nations in the world to resettle here and the reasons and the motivations behind that immigration and soon there's going to be climate immigration. We're going to have to make room for people who are living in environments that just are inhabitable as a result, whether it be by flooding or by desert. So if I've got a spare 60 million, <laughs> love the love saying that, spare 60 million, um, why not throw it at that and just see if we can then grow our economy and so when the world does come out of COVID-19 world we go hey guys girls leaders of the world great news we can save the planet yeah I mean I know that wasn't a question that was a statement but I just want your thoughts so the, the way I think about this is that what we need to do and what we have the opportunity to do right now is to tie our industrial policy, and mm-hmm. I guess I mean our as in everyone. I mean, I was thinking of it until a moment ago as just being Australian, but maybe maybe I'm talking about sort of, you know, um, basically the whole rich world. So tying industrial policy mm-hmm. to energy policy, mm-hmm. to trade policy, to a policy of full employment. So that's that's the kind of diamond that I think of mm. when I think about what we need to do coming out of mm. uh, COVID. Mm. So, I mean, that, that sounds like quite an ambitious agenda, but we've done bits of it before. So, uh, uh, I mean, we used to have a policy of 
full employment that was explicitly tied to an industrial policy. Like we had that coming out of World War Two. Right. Um, now the energy bit begins to solve itself because of the competitive advantages that Australia has in terms of renewables. So that doesn't necessarily do much for the rest of the world, but it makes us a, a more competitive exporter of manufacturers. Mm-hmm. But in terms of trade policy at the moment, we're just Australia is just exporting resources primarily. That's, mm. we, we, we're kind of a quarry with the university set to perch on top. Mm. Or until recently, we had this university set to perch on top. Who knows what will happen now? Mm. And I, I think by putting that all together, we're in a much stronger position. And, and it's it given us an opportunity to lead by example mm. um, in, in a way that I, I think we've been neglecting to do for quite some time. Mm. And um, if, if we have time, I wouldn't mind going through the recommendations of Please my go. report. Please go. Go. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Your platform. Yeah, sure. Off you go. Okay. Well, uh, the, the report has um, nine recommendations that I think can, can get us closer to that uh, configuration that I spoke about a moment ago. So clarity and stability in energy policy, that's been missing at uh, the, the federal level. A price on carbon would really help us get there because that would put more impetus behind uh, the move towards renewables, make them, you know, in relative terms, more cost-effective than they already are. Mm-hmm. Uh, government partnering with renewable energy and manufacturing firms to develop sustainable manufacturing potential. Mm-hmm. Set the specific renewable energy strategies. So the government saying we actually want to be, we want Australia to be in the business of producing green steel. We want Australia to be a, a green steel leader, for yeah, example, yeah. and invest in the accordingly. We'd need upgrading of transmission, so electricity transmission, to cope with decentralised power generation because if we're talking about having these kind of like mini power plants all over the place or virtual power plants where a bunch of solar panels are aggregated together off the roof of a whole lot of people's houses or businesses, mm-hmm. um, then we'd need to upgrade our transmission. Mm. I think that uh, we need to talk about full commitment to fair employment practices mm. and consultation and involvement with traditional owners and yeah. Yeah. Um, environmental standards. And the reason I say that, the reason that's included uh, in the recommendations of my report is because if we're talking about redesigning the way we provision our society, which is what economies are for, provisioning mm. society, mm. then it makes no sense to fall back into patterns of exploitative social relations. Yeah. We need to rethink that. And the traditional um, owners have already come out and said, we were doing fine. We have our own strategy in looking after the environment. We have a, a, we're more attuned to it. We should have a voice. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, for, for sure there's, there's a, a lot that, um, you know, sort of Western land management practices stand to learn from uh, Indigenous land management practices. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I think even in terms of the economic opportunities presented by renewables, that's, that's definitely something that, that needs to be um, done in a culturally and geographically sensitive way. Yes, yes. The next thing I have on my list of recommendations is... Uh, an independent statutory authority uh, mm-hmm. to design and consult on uh, economically and socially rewarding labour market transitions for affected workers. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is that people will be moving from 
industries that uh, they're currently in or have previously been in into new industries. So a, a lot of what we're talking about either doesn't exist yet or is just beginning to exist. Mm. And so that so we're talking about retraining. We're talking about making sure that if people decide at that point in their careers that they'd rather uh, take a retirement package that they're properly looked after. Mm. Uh, we don't want to be in a situation where essentially people are access to economic requirements. We want yep. to make sure that they have, you know, I, I guess determination and security about the way into in the way they move into the next phase of Australia's economic development. Yeah. The next recommendation that I've got is activist institutional investment. So I'm talking mm-hmm. about like the superannuation funds, mm-hmm. people like that. So I think people are becoming you know, investors are becoming a lot more conscious of how their money is Mm. Um, I don't know if you've ever written a letter to the superannuation fund. I've certainly given mine a call mm-hmm. and just said it would be good to be able to choose. And so I think as time goes on, super funds are becoming more conscious of that mm. demand and they're also um, becoming more responsive to that demand in terms of the sort of bucket of investments that you can have. So I'd yeah. like to see more of that because that's a lot of a lot of money sloshing around that could potentially be used for renewable investment. Yeah. And finally, uh, and this one will take just a little bit of explaining. Yep. Hydrogen based on renewables, not hydrocarbons. And the what that's all about is there's this incipient industry uh, of exported hydrogen. So what you can do is you can use sunlight or wind to uh, electrolyze water, break it down into constituent atoms, mm-hmm. hydrogen and oxygen. Hydrogen is a very powerful fuel mm-hmm. and the oxygen is harmless. Um, once uh, you have the hydrogen then you're able to, and I'll quote Professor Ross Garneau here, you can shoot sunlight. What was so that? Sorry, I missed that. I missed that. Uh, Japan and uh, South Korea are able to get access to some of the bound-up energy from Australia's renewable resources, and of course, uh, you can also do things with it, such as uh, replace metallurgical coal in steel making with hydrogen, as well. That's a technology that's already in development. Is Available at a trial stage, and I think will probably be commercialised within the next five to ten years. Yeah. So, yeah. So, there's a lot more detail on all of those in my report. Let's just say the government went, Dan, that's a really cool idea. Let's do it. How long would that take? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Look, I think think it doesn't all need to be done at the same time. Some of it's already happening in some places. Mm-hmm. So, for example, the um, hydrogen steel making stuff. So, um, Finland and Sweden and Germany, there are already firms right. that are installing uh, hydrogen steel making as we speak. So, I mean, I talked about, like, for example, that independent statutory authority to consult on. on uh, labour market transition. Mm-hmm. So that actually came from, I, I actually stole that from an earlier experience that Germany had right. um, where they, um, certain region of Germany 
got out of the coal mining business. So they, they used to be they used to be a coal mining part of the country. Mm. And at a certain point, they decided they weren't going to do that anymore. And so they convened uh, the tripartite authority, so that's government and business and unions. So, mm. you know, it, all of the stakeholders were represented. Mm. To uh, essentially get all of the workers out of that industry without firing anyone. Yeah, so okay. Making sure that everyone was treated well. And I think one of the things... In Australian policy discourse, which is really, I mean, it uses a wedge and it's quite a destructive wedge, is this idea that you're either pro-coal or you're anti-worker. Yeah. And I think that's used very effectively um, by people who are in favour of coal. coal industry for reasons that have nothing to do with worker well-being whatsoever. Yes, um, but it's, but, it's creating uh, a fear. Exactly, and I think if, if you can reassure people through pointing at transitions like uh, the rural districts in Germany had and say, if this is done right, it doesn't have to be uh, economically painful in the way that you're worried about, mm. then I, I think that's, that's a really important part of the picture. Part of the message, yeah. So what do we do? Yeah. So it makes sense to me. I'm I'm not an econom uh, I'm not in economics and I'm pro planet yay um, but I'm not a scientist by any means but you've basically said that we can do all of these things with um, not a negative impact on Australia's economy but a positive impact as well as a positive impact on our planet uh, so how do we where do we go from here what happens now how do I say to the Prime Minister, um, hey, Dan's got a great idea. Can you just start it? Like, how does it work? How do we get it happening? Yeah. yeah. Look, I mean, I, I think ultimately when it comes down to it, governments are in the business of survival. Mm-hmm. They want to survive. And I think the way to win stuff is to make climate inaction or, um, you know, uh, inadequate action on climate so politically painful for governments that they have to be ambitious. Mm. And then that forces oppositions to be ambitious as well. And you get mm. this virtuous cycle where they're kind of seeking to outdo each other because yep. that's what's politically important or popular. Mm. And there's kind of a, a, a bit of a, a, a punchline to this, really, which is that all of the states and territories of Australia already have commitments to net zero emissions. Mm. And so if you think about Australia in geographic terms, Australia already has this commitment to net zero emissions. But the problem is that the handbrake's being pulled on that at the Commonwealth government level. It, It would just be so much easier and our success would be so much more likely if the Commonwealth was pointed in the same direction as the states and territories. Right. So... I mean, it's, it's not the same target in each of the, the mm-hmm. states and territories. Some of them are by 2045, some yep. of them are earlier, yep. and so on and so on. But anyway, nonetheless, uh, I would suggest writing to your MP. It does actually matter. Mm-hmm. They do read the letter. They, they do actually... They're, they're fearful of voting. They're fearful of losing their seats. And they should Right, be. right. Uh, so we, and, and, yep, we, we yeah. vote with our feet. So if yeah, we, yeah. I'm going to put your paper on the blog underneath the series um, sure. and, and encourage people to just share, share, share. 
and yeah. fill in the question forms to ask, ask, ask if they have further questions to what you've outlined. And then the broader spread of, of that message that and to take away that fear that we're not taking away jobs, we're creating jobs, we're doing it cleanly, we're... We can meet these targets. We have the resources here in Australia in abundance. We just need to take action and to perhaps start investigating who is it who has the invested interest in gas and coal and, and let people yeah. do their own investigation on that one as to why those might be being put in our face, whereas, you know, you know bring a lump of coal into parliament and say nothing to be scared of um but you could open the window and say see the sun if you got close enough it'd be something you're scared of but it's it's free and it's right up there so that's the action that we need to take and there's one more one more tactic that i'd suggest Mm -hmm. which is that the first preference vote for major parties is the lowest it's ever been so I think there's this real mm. opportunity now to organise grassroots campaigns behind mm. climate-friendly independence. So even in um, seats like we're in, Tony Abbott's old seat, we mm-hmm. saw what happened with Zali Stegall, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I think probably uh, from what I can tell, in in times other than the present, uh, Zali Stegall would have been a moderate liberal. And yet climate change is sort of... I guess, central to her platform, mm. that she ran as an independent mm. and succeeded. Mm. And, you know, beat a, a former prime minister. Mm. So, yeah. uh, you know. That, that uh, was impressive, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So there, there's definitely possibilities there that didn't used to exist in terms of electoral politics as well. And it matters. Yeah, great. All right. Well, what we'll do is we'll end this particular series here now. When questions come in, Dan, is it okay if I give you a call or we can, um, they might get a little bit more detailed, but we can we can talk through your paper. I'll put it in the blog next to the series and um, we can just ask and see if we can get your very sensible message out there. Does that sound okay? That would be fantastic. I look forward to it. Great. Thank you so much, Dan, for all the time that you spent talking to me. I really appreciate it. And likewise, I really appreciate you taking an interest in my work. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Thanks so much once again.